This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, who's our card for this week? Matt, our card this week is somebody who celebrated a birthday this week. Oh, nice. Oh, that's that, that's cheerful. Since I follow at Tops1988 on Twitter, I saw that it was Robin Yount's birthday. It was also Oral Hirschheiser, Rhino, Ryan Sandberg. Mickey Tettleton. Yeah, Tim Raines. There's so many stars. Which of those is, is going to be the card this week, Dave? It is a Cubs legend, Thad Bosley. Thad Bosley. Oh, wait a minute. What? <laughs> Thad Bosley celebrated his 64th birthday this week. Thad Bosley. I, I have to admit... I'm not familiar with Thad Bosley. But if you look at this card, well, let's pull there's a this lot up of here. blue in this picture. Thad Bosley on the Royals in 1988 top set, number 247. Okay, number 247, Thad Bosley. I'm pulling it up right here. Listed as a designated hitter slash outfielder. Pulling this up, and this is, this is a great-looking card. So, great mustache. Good little, like, uh, goatee going on. Uh, baby blue Royals outfit uh, from head to toe with the long-sleeved baby blue shirt underneath it. And he's got a kind of a wry smile as he's locking eyes, like, on that pitch or actually on the, you know, foul pole in left field <laughs> while the cameraman is taking the picture. Also behind him, all blue seats, all blue padding, the nameplate, Thad Bosley, also blue. Royals at the top, also blue. So much blue on this card. And I picked Thad Bosley because when I was posting those birthdays this week, one, I realized we hadn't done a Royal mm -hmm. in this set. And also, uh, Thad Bosley is a musician. Oh, cool. And also holds a place of distinction in Cubs history. Birthday Great. boy. Cubs legend, well, that funk sounds, musician. <laughs> that sounds like a perfect combination for the 1988 Tops podcast. So, well, let's take a look at. We'll we'll go over the back of the card and some of his, you know, in his major league career. We definitely need a full report on the funk, and and then yeah, let's find out what that you know that Cubs history is. It sounds like a great show. So, as I flip to the back of the card, David, I I mean. Thad Bosley, as we find him in the 1988 Tops set, is 11 years deep into his major league career. His first year is in 1977. The fun fact is back from his minor league days that Thad led California League with a 324 average, led league's outfielders with a 977 fielding percentage in 1976. As often happens with these fun facts, they really bury the lead. <laughs> that season... Thad hit 324 in 1976 for the Salinas Angels, and he was the MVP of the California League. Oh, he, man. He, awesome. Yeah. It, he also had 90 steals that season. <laughs> so, you know, they always talk about, like, fielding percentages. He stole 90 bases. So he was really a top prospect in the Angels minor league system. Drafted in the fourth round, I think, as it says on that card. He started in the minors at 17. So he went straight from high school and wasn't even 18 years old. 
and had a pretty pretty rapid rise into the pros with that really great season in Salinas. That was single A ball. He then skipped double A, went to triple A, and was hitting 326 and was called up to the Angels in 1977. So he makes his debut in 1977. He had never been to an Angels game, even <laughs> though he was from Southern California as well. Grew up in Southern California, had never been to an Angels game, made it to the stadium at 7 p.m., right before the game started. The Angels owner had given kind of a rah-rah speech to the team, and Thad Bosley missed the speech because he was on the plane coming to the stadium. Gets in the lineup and went two for four with a triple, got Nolan Ryan a win. So you have this 20-year-old Thad Bosley picture uh, on his website that we'll link to. From this article, he's looked super excited, got a triple, won the game for Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan is there, who was 30 years old at that point. Oh, wow. So in that first season, he hit 297, had a pretty good rookie season, 212 at-bats, which actually ended up being the second most of his career. Because as we'll see, Thad goes on to have a very long and storied pinch-hitting career for many teams in the major leagues. Uh, seven teams over 14 years. Yeah. So in on this, so on the back of the card, we see he played for the Angels, for the White Sox for three seasons, the Brewers, the Mariners, the Cubs for four seasons, and then we find him at the Royals in 1987. What are some other highlights from earlier in his career? After that, after his rookie season, he was traded to the White Sox with Bobby Bonds and Richard Dotson in exchange for Brian Downing. Dave Frost, and a guy named Chris Knapp. So you have kind of uh, Thad being included, thrown in as a young player. Maybe he'll turn out to be something, but he wasn't really the big part of this of this trade. He ended up playing three seasons for the White Sox, bouncing between AAA and the majors, had some injuries. And really, I think the most notable thing about Thad's time with the White Sox is that these White Sox uniforms are pretty great. <laughs> oh my goodness. That picture is incredible. We will put this in the show notes uh, for sure. This this picture of of Thad, you know, on one knee, posed with the bat, the white the white shirt with I don't know how to describe this. It's almost this a collar. leisure suit collar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's beyond a spread collar. I would There's be different... remiss if I didn't point out that the White Sox in the 1970s were doing interesting things with uniforms, including mm-hmm. at one point wearing shorts with their uniforms. Oh, oh. I don't yeah, think these... Thad was on the the shorts team, but yeah. these they had a, both a blue and a white version of this jersey that had this wide collar. Also with the blue block le- the blue hat with the white block letter socks. In more recent White Sox lore, this jersey with the wide collar is the one that Chris Sale, when he was pitching for the White Sox, famously cut up because he did not like the collar of the shirt when the White Sox <laughs> were wearing it as a throwback. But Thad looks good in this, I think. I think that looks awesome. You gotta love any picture where the guy's hat is resting on his hair, and Thad has that look (laughs) in this picture. Yep, he's got a natural cut here that is that is poofing out on both sides. Looks excellent to me. So uh, we move on to the Brewers and the and the Mariners at this point. 
Of which there isn't much to add from those teams either. He was generally a, a backup and a and a pinch hitter. Played for the Brewers in 81 and the Mariners in 82. And then came back to Chicago in 1983 to the north side. Great. And so we see him at the Cubs starting in 83. And... I'm looking at the back of the card again, David, and the his slugging percentage and batting average really uh, jump up once he gets to the Cubs in 83. 84, 85, he's got batting averages 292, 296, 328. Slugging percentage heading up toward in the 400s and 500s. So it looks like he saw some good batting success for Chicago. That is correct, Matt. And that's something that in looking into Thad, I found at least one person who said that they, as a kid, and I probably would have fallen into this trap as well, looked at the back of Thad Bosley's card in 1986, saw that this guy had hit 328 the year before, and became a Thad Bosley fan. <laughs> Looked at it and said, oh my gosh, this guy hit 328. He's going to be a star if he gets more at-bats. But it turned out that he was just a really good pinch hitter. And in fact, I, I found a, a listing of all the Cubs pinch hitters, and they had Thad Bosley as the best pinch hitter in Cubs history. So he was on that 1984 Cubs team that went to the playoffs that were the NL that 1984 Cubs team that were the NL East champs they went 96 and 65 he hit nearly 300 for that team while playing in 55 games but he only had 98 at bats so that kind of the way that Thad's career goes as a pinch hitter he was one of their best pinch hitters and one of the highlights of that 84 season for him was hitting a game-winning home run uh, against the Braves in on August 30th of 1984. So he was involved in the team, sort of, as a pretty good pinch hitter. They had a few good pinch hitters that year. Uh, and he played in the playoffs, but only had two at-bats and struck out both times. Mm-hmm. And so the after that 84 season, going into 1985, there were some heightened expectations because of how good the 84 Cubs were, but they were under 500 after that. However, Thad had his best season of his career. He had uh, his wins above replacement were 2.3, which is pretty good for a pinch hitter. And he was a fourth among position players in wins above replacement. So behind guys like Ryan Sandberg, Leon Durham, and uh, Jody Davis, you have a pinch hitter who only played in 108 games and had 180 at-bats, but he led the Cubs and led the league in pinch hits with 20. So that's uh, still tied for second most in Cubs history, and also a the 22nd best all-time pinch hit total for a player. He hit 333 and had three pinch hit home runs. And one of his best moments, on August 12, 1985, he came in as a pinch hitter in the sixth inning, hit a game-tying three-run home run against the Expos. He stayed in the game, and with the Cubs trailing 7-6 to six in the eighth inning, Bosley hit a 
two-run homer off of Jeff Reardon, and the Cubs had an 8-7 to win. Interesting note here that only 26 people in history have had a pinch hit home run and then hit another home run in the same game. Okay. <laughs> so they come in, hit a home run, but, and then stay in the game and get around to bat one more time and actually hit a home run. Yes. That's... <laughs> <laughs> and particularly for a guy who, in his career, only had 20 home runs, to have two of them in the same game as a pinch hitter is pretty impressive. Yeah. Great. So that's 1985. Going into 86, another decent season. He's in 87 games, 120 at-bats, and hitting 275. Pretty decent. And all-time then for the Cubs ranks first all-time for Cubs pinch hitters with a 303 average, second in both on-base percentage and on-base plus slugging, and tied for third in slugging. So, yeah, I can see why this listing has him as the all-time best pinch hitters, and we'll put that link in the show notes for folks that, for Cubs fans who want to reminisce about the old days of, of pinch hitter supremacy. Yeah, I was thinking about pinch hitters when reading about Thad because – I can't think of a guy who played for 14 seasons nowadays and had that much or, and spent that much of it as a pinch hitter. I, I'm sure that I can be proven wrong here, but I, I think that now teams don't want to waste a, ro- a roster spot and pay a guy the amount of money that even somebody like Thad was making to just be a pinch hitter. You want him to be more productive, get more at-bats. There's a a good study in the Hardball Times talking about pinch-hitting specialists. And it lists out some of the all-time greats, which I think pinch-hitters in baseball have some of the best names. We talked about how good a name Thad Bosley is. Yeah. It's not quite—the first pinch-hitter was a guy named Ham Hyatt. (laughs) <laughs> in 1909 but you also have names like razor shines rusty staub dusty Rhodes, and peanuts lowry were some of my favorites <laughs> in that in that uh hardball times article but the 1980s were one of the biggest times for pinch hitters particularly in the national league the pinch hitting specialists declined in popularity in the american league once the designated hitter came into play but because Pitchers are still batting in the National League. Pinch hitters are more necessary. The After the 1980s, pinch hitters kind of trailed off even in the National League. The active leader in pinch hits right now is 59. And the, the all-time record holder is Lenny Harris, who had 212 pinch hits. Wow. So active leaders are nowhere near those all-time numbers. And... Guys like Thad Bosley are kind of a thing of the past. Every now and again, you get a guy who has a really good year. Tommy LaStella in 2018 had 24 pinch hits for the Cubs, which actually broke Thad's record of 20. But then Tommy LaStella the next season went on to play full-time for the Angels because if a guy has a bat like that, you don't want to just leave him on the bench. We've talked before about how there are certain aspects that just aren't as popular anymore. So stolen bases, complete games for pitchers, pinch hitters. Uh, So yeah, pinch hitters seems to fit right where the makeup of the game, the strategy in the game, all these things have kind of come together to 
but just de-emphasize that aspect of it. And, and I think so, it also is yeah. a question of risk. And we mm. see that with mm -hmm. with the lack of stolen bases. Mm -hmm. You don't want to take the risk. You just want to keep a guy on base and have somebody drive him in. So you have fewer hit and runs. You have fewer stolen bases. Pinch hitters are kind of in that category too, I think. If you have a guy who one out of every three times is going to get a hit in your regular lineup, why would you pinch hit him for a guy who's sitting on the bench? And so that kind of rounds out. So he, how does he end up getting to the Royals? After the 1986 season where Thad had a productive year, he had 16 pinch hits, not quite his record of 20, but still a pretty good season pinch hitting for the Cubs. He was traded for 36-year-old catcher Jim Sundberg. And Sundberg was nearing the end of his career, but had been a gold glove winning catcher and all-star catcher. So after being traded to the Royals in 87, so the Royals released him early in the season in 88. He played a little bit more with the California Angels and finished up his career in Texas in 1989 and retired in 1990. But if we go back to that 1987 uh, year, the blockbuster trade, you know, to the <laughs> Royals for Jim Sundberg was not the, was probably not the major event of 1987. The biggest event of 1987 was him releasing his solo album. Yes. In December. Was that <laughs> yes. In 1987, Thad Bosley released his solo record, No Greater Love. But this was not Thad's first foray into the music business. When he was a young person, he didn't necessarily plan to be a professional baseball player, but thought about being a professional musician or a professional writer. And in the 70s and early 80s, he was in a funk band with Lenny Randall. And it was Lenny Randall and the ball players, or maybe it was just ball players. I haven't found it listed as the ball players, but pretty generic name. Yeah, that's they got to work on that name. Lenny Randall was a decent player. Lenny was no longer playing by 88. But these guys were in a funk band from this record label, The People's Potential. And so they had this People's Potential family album compilation which has some i don't know i've been listening to it this morning and it was pretty good and it, it's available on spotify but it got an 8.0 from pitchfork which is pretty cool i'm gonna read a little bit of this pitchfork review Stranger Still is The Ballplayers, the circa 1980 musical side project of Major League Baseball journeyman Lenny Randall and Thad Bosley, whose instrumental universal language is a slice of wah-wah disco funk that falls somewhere between Denny McLean's late 60s lounge Hammond LPs and the 1986 single Get Metsmerized on the baseball player as musician quality scale. Now, David, you had said before that you would like to add to the 1988 Tops podcast some sort of scale and ranking system of baseball music and baseball team theme songs. And Get Metsmerized has just been called out by Pitchfork 
as at one end of the scale of musical greatness. I'm not sure I can tell which one is which. I, I couldn't either. Mer- I, couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell. Pitchfork, come on, help me here. I'm going to say this song by the ballplayers, which we will include a clip of, is pretty generic. Mm. It's just, it's generic funk. That's fine. There's no words to it, which is maybe a plus if we look at some of the other songs that they put together, including one called American Worker. And okay. American Worker is just kind of noisy, and it sounds like it was made for a car commercial. Mm, okay. And- that, that could be okay. So, <laughs> But I do want to talk about No Greater Love, and in particular, the cover art for for this so as you'll see on the youtube link you've got now where so this is a picture this is obviously uh, of chicago so i guess maybe we could just say it looks like they took a boat straight east from the hancock building and then dropped a piano in the lake but the piano was floating on the lake pasted it on top of the picture and then use that as the cover art. Do you have a favorite track from this album, David? I, I guess if I have to pick, I would go with Cross the Dagger. I don't really know what it is talking about. Maybe he's singing the cross of the dagger, but a sampling of lyrics here. What do you do? Where do you go when the lion tries to get in your soul? It's poetry. Yeah, so having listened to this, it's... (laughs) Thad, he's got a vocal style in the upper register. It's kind of thin, and the keyboard is very artificial sounding which doesn't help those two things together make it sound very flimsy when it comes to funk and i think that's that's probably my my review on that it's tough to listen to but <laughs> it's, t- <laughs> it's tough to listen to i have listened to this for this album at least a couple times over the last few days trying to pick out a favorite because we try to remain pretty positive on this podcast. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I do think that there's some interesting lyrics, but it's, yeah, I, I can't give it an 8.0. No, this is not, not quite Pitchfork 8.0 plus quality. No, no. It, This Tribune article from December 1987, Thad talks about how he was going to be at the downtown records on Oak Street. So maybe they just... That record store is right by where they took this picture. Yeah. He was going to be there to sign albums for all the fans. He was Maybe. he was honest about the prospects of this, and he just said, I'm just going to be there meeting and greeting whoever shows up. Maybe just me in the snow, or just me and downtown <laughs> records people. I don't know that this was that Thad expected this to be a breakout hit or anything, but I hope that it sold more than the 120 copies that Metzmerized sold. <laughs> One can only hope. Well, that is a uh, a good look at, at Thad's uh, music career. How about his post-playing career? He did have a uh, record label 
B and E Records. I don't know what the E stands for. I assume the B stands for Bosley, <laughs> which was based in Bolingbrook, Illinois. And he was doing mostly religious and R&B music. He had a second album in 1990 called Who Can Change the World? I have not listened to that one. He did go on to be a hitting coach for the A's from 1999 to 2002, and as well as for the Rangers. He was hired in 2010 and then was fired three months into the season in 2011 after some mm. disagreements with players. It, he also has coached at the college level for some kind of smaller colleges, Bethany College, Grace University, Southwestern College, some smaller uh, religious schools. So let's wrap it up then for Thad. So Thad Bosley, for his career, played 14 seasons. He played for seven different teams and had a career 272 average and 84 pinch hits, Uh which puts him at 39th all-time as far as pinch hits goes. A good 14-year career, played in 784 games, and just a guy who you have on your bench who you trust to come in in a tough situation and being expected to get a hit with a guy on base. And the other part of Thad's career is that we have a lot of guys who are looking to do something else in their retirement. We have some guys who've written books. We and Thad set up Ponzi schemes. Yes, yes, we have great investors. We we have, you know, the, the natural path is to become a coach. Thad was doing something very different during his career. He was writing songs, writing uh, compositions, and producing music. A lot of those guys try try to pick something up after retirement. Thad was doing that while he was playing, running a record label, and and has gone on to a relatively successful coaching career. Excellent. Well, I this is a nice kind of palate cleanser of an episode after some just some other other difficult ones that we've done, David. So I really enjoy it to have even even if the music is not necessarily my taste, uh, it's smooth and inoffensive, which is a lot better than most of what 2020 has turned out to be. So I appreciate it very much. Uh, so thank you, Thad Bosley, for your soulful jams. Uh, couldn't say it better. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you, Thad. Uh, thank you to you at home. If If you have some soulful jams you'd like to share on our Facebook page. That is facebook.com slash 1988 tops podcast. You can find us there. As we mentioned before, we're on Twitter. Tops 1988 is the handle. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next week.